Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC 262 is upon us. A packed house in Houston is going to give us an absolute banger of a main event between Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler. The lightweight title is on the line. Me and Shockwave will, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card. It's part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we also give you a parlay and an underdog that we think will both make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as you guys know, I'm giving you the interviews as I do each and every week. This week, I'll kick off the show with an interview with Gina Mazzani as she gets ready for her second bout at flyweight against Priscilla Cachoeira. Plus, at the end of the show, I'm going to be talking to Alex Morano as he recaps his amazing TKO victory over Donald Cowboy Cerrone, one of the biggest wins of Morano's career. He's pumped about it, and he's talking about what might be next for him. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports gambling. Head on over to betterthan.vegas, and from there, browse, search, and follow fellow handicappers, sports personalities, and so many more as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests And let me tell you something, they give them to you in every single sports imaginable, so make sure you head on over there, whether you're planning on gambling on baseball or basketball or, hey, MMA, I heard, has got some some smart guys over there giving you their picks as well. Head on over there, follow the Top Turtle MMA page, and of course, follow all of the great picks that you see at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is Gina Mazzani, who fights Priscilla Cachoeira at UFC 262 on May 15th. So, Gina, I want to talk about the last time out, because last time out we saw you fight at Flyweight for the very first time in the UFC, you know, coming down to 125 pounds, where you've been at, you know, 135 pounds, you even fought regionally at 155 pounds once. Can, can you detail us a little bit about what it was like to go through that, that transformation and that weight cut? Oh, man, it was quite a transformation, not only physically, but mentally. But it's honestly probably uh, one of the best things that's happened to me. After my last loss at 135, I was done fighting. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And uh, James Krause hit up my fiancé and was like, please, just give me two months with Gina. Um, Just give me two months with her and blah, blah, blah. And so anyway, so I ended up uh, going and training at Glory MMA with James. And we had a discussion about it and talked about going to 125. And then I hired a nutritionist, Tyler Mitten, who is just awesome. And uh, slowly but surely, a 15-week fight camp and a 10-week strict, strict diet, uh, I made it down to 125 pounds. And then since then, I've just been uh, somewhat trying to maintain so that I can continue to fight at flyweight. And uh, man, I feel like a monster at 125 pounds. So I think it was a great choice for me. Yeah, and you looked like a monster, too, and we'll get into that in just a second, but I, I want to backtrack to something you said there for a quick second. You said you were all done. Did you actually think that you were retiring from MMA, or were you just like, was that like a very big fed-up moment? It was just a, you know, I just felt like I was stuck at a crossroads, you know, at the time I was a third, I was a little 31 or something, and 
I was, you know, I was just down to support my man, like have him fight. And I just, you know, I felt like I, I felt like I just kind of hit a wall with my training and my learning. And, um, I just kind of felt like, no, I mean, and I, I kind of felt like a lost cause a little bit. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm going to blame it on James Krause. He really brought the light and the love and the passion back out in me and, uh, for fighting. And it's, it's it's weird because I thought it was all over, and right now I feel like 125 pounds is a whole new beginning, and I feel like I'm just going to be kind of a I don't know I'm going to be a problem at 125 pounds. Well, you certainly yeah. It, you you certainly looked at it in your first fight, so I, I want to talk about that fight too because you know you went out there and not only won but you finished your opponent, and, and you know was it your sort of thought going into that fight too that that was a fight that you thought you could finish with ground and pound? Was that that like the goal going into that? Or were the openings just there? Because, I mean, you look like you could finish her in just about any way you wanted. You know, she – I feel like a lot of people don't give Rachel as much credit as she deserves. Like, she's tough. Like, I I remember in the fight, I was like, man, I hit her. Like, there's a few times where I hit her really hard or I slammed her really hard or I, you know, I could just, like, ragdoll her. And she just – she didn't have a lot of quitting her until I had to physically stab my foot through her stomach. Um, but she uh, – yeah, my, my intention – was to kind of keep it more standing and then if I saw an opening take her down because you know uh I, I think her I definitely think her ground game is better than her stand-up game so I want to put the fight where I'm better at so uh but yeah at, at the point once I got my hands on her I kind of felt like I could take the fight anywhere and I, I mean to be honest I didn't I really didn't feel that much in danger at any point in the fight and so that was that was really cool and so but definitely a finish is what I was hunting for and I'm really, really glad I got it. And I thought it was really cool the way I did, too. Absolutely. And, and now I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the change at your camp here, too. Because you, you mentioned, uh, obviously, it, it helped you change your mindset quite a bit. And, and it, you know, obviously, you changed nutritionally incredibly and, and looked really good afterwards. I, I want to talk a little bit about, about more stylistically because, you know, James Cross is a guy who's getting a lot of publicity very suddenly from a lot of different places about being one of the best coaches out there. And, and some fighters have told me what works for them working with James Cross and why they learn so well from him. But can you shed a little light about why working with James Cross works so well specifically for you? For me specifically, um, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a pretty emotional person and I, I, um, I'm also a female. So I tend to overthink things quite a bit and I tend to like dig into things um, and like overthink it and question stuff. And the nice thing about James is, uh, if I have a moment where I am questioning anything or feeling any sort of way, he'll just call me. He'll call me and he'll talk to me and he'll, he'll like dig my, help me dig myself out of a hole and, and, uh, just kind of make everything make sense. You know what I mean? Like I, I think a lot of fighters tend to, uh, um, make make things harder on them than they should, and he kind of sheds a light on, you know, if you just continue to work hard and uh, if you perform well, you're going to win this fight, like that kind of thing. Where he's, you know, I, I was so end goal oriented, and he's just so involved throughout the entire camp, not just in the gym on the mats, but you know, on the weekends he'll hit. Like you know, this morning he texted me, and it's it's there, there's this constant communication with him and. Um, I've never really had that. I've never been this close to a coach in my life. And he's just, he, I mean, he's, he, he's, he's more than a coach to me. He's family. You know, he's, he's one of my best friends. He's, he's just awesome. But he, the way he makes it, he makes you feel like he cares so much. And I know he does. Um, it, it's important. It's like this, my fight is important to me as it is to him. And, 
and that that's just really something special. And he and that and on top of it, he has so many other fighters that he does that for, and it's just it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Absolutely, and and we've been singing the praises of his for a while now too. But so so I'm curious too about just like the mental state of of arriving at a coach where you're you're this close with them at at this stage in your career where you've you've had your ups and downs and you've thought about letting go. Do, do you do you look back and lament not having looked around and found somebody you know maybe not exactly like James because there's not a lot of people exactly like James. But do do you wish you looked around more early in your career? You know, I, I, I really did. I, I did, honestly. Like I, so I lived in Seattle, and then I, um, I I moved to Las Vegas because at the time I felt like Las Vegas was the fight capital of the world. You know, some of the biggest gyms and the UFC hub was there, and lots of big names were there. And so I, I figured, you know, that's where it's got to be. Um, not until shortly after I, I met uh, Tim Elliott, my fiancé. Uh, he spoke very, very highly of, of James and Really, I, I want to say, uh, besides Robert Follis, who passed away about four years ago, um, he's the only other coach that I found like him. Like James is really something special. Like he's he's really one of a kind. Um, but yeah, I, I've definitely looked around for coaches, but I'm also I'm also I, I kind of get stuck to where I'll be too loyal for my own good. And I, I just I thought a lot of the I mean the holes in my game weren't able to be fixed by the other coaches, which is fine. Um, and I, I personally couldn't see them. Uh, so I'm, I'm just grateful that I did find somebody that could see the holes in my game and that could help me fill them. Uh, I, we, we feel the same exact way, and it's been really fun to watch you develop now. So let, let's talk about the next fight and, and exactly what's going to happen in that fight. So you're fighting Priscilla Cachoeira, who, who's a fighter who most of her finishes have come with strikes, either by TKO or, I mean, she had a big knockout her last time out. How do you see this fight playing out? You said you'd like to take it where where you feel more comfortable. Do you feel like you can stand and bang with her, or do you feel like this is a fight where maybe you got to bring it to to your realm on the ground? Um, going over her past fights with her past opponents, um, I feel like her strong suit would be her striking. Um, I think my striking's uh, pretty good as well, um, but I definitely do have some good wrestling and good ground game. So. Um, I'm gonna see see where the fight takes me, but I uh, honestly, if I ever feel in danger, I can shoot and I can take her down, and I feel like I can get on top of her and and uh, just do my thing. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna fight my fight on May 15th, uh, whether it's standing or it's on the ground. Uh, my gosh, my alarm <laughs> But I'm I'm gonna, it, yeah, I'm just gonna take the fight where where I feel is is good, but um, I know she's changed camps, and I know she's working really, really hard, um, which is great, because that makes for a good fight for me as well. Good fighters tend to bring the best fight out of, out of each other, so um, I'm definitely I, uh, I'm definitely ready for the best Priscilla seen to date, um, but also the best Gina is going to be seen today on May 15th. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it, and once again, fans, that's Gina Mazzani, who fights Priscilla Cachoeira at UFC 262 on May 15th. Gina, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Gina Mazzani. I once again am Daniel Gumby Freeland. I am now joined by my co-host Shockwave, Dave Tremonte. Dave, UFC 262, certainly a very big one. Which fight are you looking forward to the most? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, can I do a cop-out answer and say 
all of them. I mean, we're about to get into our favorite segment on the show, Fight Stocks Parlays for UFC 262. And the three fights we're breaking down, I'm excited about all of them. I guess the main event, because it has the most importance, quote-unquote, with the belt on the line. Um, but, man, the, Tony Ferguson, a comeback story. Benil Darouche, sort of mini-surging. Oh, OMG, Gumby. I, I'm excited about all these fights. What about you? Yeah, I'm excited about all these fights, too. You know I'm a sucker for the prelims, too. And I would say there's even some some really fun fights on that one. You know, like... Uh, Lando Venata is never in a boring fight, and you're, we're watching him go down a weight class and fight Mike Grundy, and Jacare is fighting. You know I'm a, a Jacare mark, as they say, uh, and he's fighting a fun up-and-comer, so you're going to kind of see either a changing of the guards or him, you know, sort of give Jacare's last stand in there. So, like, there, there's all kinds of fun fun fights on here. I, I'm excited to see our guest from today, Gina Mazzani, fight at, at 125 again. Yeah, there's there's just so much intrigue on this card, top to bottom, and and I'm I'm pumped for it. Yeah, the UFC is definitely in like a mini uh, era of just great cards. I mean, this is a great one. Two sixty three is going to be a great one. You got Izzy in there. You're going to get the Nate Diaz Leon Edwards fight that got moved. So we are lucky as fight fans, and we are so excited to bring our fans this edition of Fight Dogs and Parlays for UFC two sixty two. Gumby, let's just get right into it, start breaking things down. But before we do, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fight Stocks Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jujitsu, or any of the other martial arts that they cover, and they cover so many of them, 30 plus on the app. You can log your training sessions, tag those techniques and your training partners, log competitions, and so much more. Make sure to download the Maroon Social app wherever it is you download apps. So, Gumby, we're going to start with the 155-pound title fight. And I think it's important because, you know, for me, 155, 170 have pretty much always been my two favorite divisions. I guess you could throw 205 in there as well, but... Really, for me, it's always 155 and 170. I always find they're the most complete, the most depth. And I think it's important just to do a little historical walk before we get into this. The 155-pound title has not really been locked down for the better part of a decade. So if you go back when BJ Penn was the champion, who I think we all look back on as, you know, one of the best 155-pound champions, at the time he looked unbeatable, he defended three times. Then Frankie Edgar beat him. And he defended really once. He drew with Gray Maynard, then came back, beat him in the rematch. Then Benson Henderson won it. And Benson Henderson legitimately defended three fucking times. Beat Frankie Edgar, Nate Diaz, Gil Melendez. Anthony Pettis beat him. Only defended one time. Beat Gil Melendez. Then RDA beat Anthony Pettis. Only defended one time against a bad performance Donald Cerrone. Eddie Alvarez beat RDA. Never defended. Lost to Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, LOL, you know, went and did boxing, never fucking uh, defended for two years, finally came back, beat, uh, faced Khabib Nurmagomedov, who was the interim champion, and Khabib obviously locked it down. And we felt like, oh, my God, we're in the Khabib era. This man is going to be the GOAT of 155. He had three amazing title defenses. Uh, or, excuse me, he had two amazing title defenses against Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje after beating McGregor and then retires. And now here we are. It's, uh, it's 
you know, two new people trying to start new eras. And I feel like we were on the brink of a John Jones or an Anderson Silva-esque run for Khabib, but not meant to be. So here we are. Charles Oliveira, Charlie Olives, is on a 20,000-fight win streak, (laughs) coming off a big unanimous decision win over Tony Ferguson. Beat Kevin Lee before that with a guillotine choke. Beat Jared Gordon with a KO before that. He is so multidimensional. This man can beat you on the feet. He can beat you with submissions. He is surging right now, peaking at the right time. But in walks Michael Chandler, who debuts for the UFC with a very impressive TKO over Dan Hooker, performance of the night back in January of this year. Almost wish we got to see more of him in the octagon. We barely got to see him. But before that, he beat Benson Henderson and Sidney Outlaw in Bellator. If you go back to May of 2019, he lost to Pitbull Patricio Freire. Uh, so he's three and one in his last four and maybe peaking at just the right time as well. I will mention before we get your prediction that Charlie Olives is the minus 135 favorite. Michael Chandler, the plus 115 dog. I can't wait. Let's hear it. Who you got? I will say this, by the way, is the toughest fight I have to call in recent memory. Uh, I, I can't remember thinking of a fight that I was trying to, to cap or I was trying to think of or I was trying to pick a winner for that I it, there's just so many there's just so many unknowns right like will Michael Chandler try to wrestle Charlie Olives maybe it would be a bad decision how long can Olivera's striking hold up against Chandler's power I don't know what is Chandler or what does Olivera's gas tank look like in the fourth or a fifth round Again, I don't know. I, I know what it looks like for Chandler, but I don't know what it looks like for Oliveira. Can Oliveira actually take down Chandler, giving Chandler's wrestling background? Man, I don't know. But then does the fight take entirely place on the feet? Man, it, there's just so many questions that, like, th- neither of them have, like, an analog of a, a fighter to, to pair him with, right? Like, the closest thing you can say of a guy like Michael Chandler that Oliveira has fought is maybe Kevin Lee. And God, they're not alike, right? Like, those those two guys don't fight similarly. So, uh, it's so hard for me to call. But, it, like, if you tell me, gun to my head, I got to make a pick on this one. And, and I, I, I'm being honest. I'm staying away from this fight as far as the odds go. I am going to pick Charles Oliveira. Uh, I think if he has enough power to, to, to hit Michael Chandler on the feet, doesn't necessarily have to stun him, but just make him feel the power. Make him feel like he's only paying attention to the striking. And get Michael Chandler to shoot on him, I think he could sub him, to be honest with you. I I think he's got that kind of good submission game where the guillotine might be there or, you know, an anaconda or a Doris choke off of the sprawl. I I just think that that is probably a pretty good path to victory. Ultimately, it's so hard to draw a path to victory for any of them because, you know, the other one has looked very damn good the whole time and you've never seen him fight anybody like that. But, yeah, I I think I'm going to go with Oliveira. Yeah, so I'm also going with Charlie Olives. It is a toss-up, right? So we're kind of giving our best guesses. Here's what I know in the most simplistic terms. This fight probably won't hit the ground. I don't think, you know, we see this like with the Gaethje's and other high-level wrestlers. What I mean, could he? Could Chandler score a takedown late in the round and maybe steal a round? Absolutely. But I don't think that's the game plan to go and grapple and even stick your head somewhere where, you know, you, you maybe are susceptible to like a guillotine. Charlie Olives has really good submission skills. I don't see Charlie Olives even being able to take down 
uh, Michael Chandler. So I just think this is going to take place primarily on the feet. Who has more power? Michael Chandler. Who's more aggressive? Equal. They're, they're equally aggressive. I'm coming forward for you, and we're getting in a war right now. So that also leads to sort of some uncertainty. But that all being said, I think Oliveira is actually the more technical striker. So, you know, if he could avoid the big shot, I'm picking him three rounds to two or maybe a late fourth round, fifth round type finish. I don't know. Yeah, I I think you're definitely right. I think that that's true. But also, I I will just throw this piece in here because you said – you don't expect Charlie Oliveira to be able to take down Michael Chandler. In in, in part, I, I'm with you on that one. Char- Michael Chandler's wrestling has always looked good. Granted, you know, say what you want about his wrestling offense if he fought somebody like Sidney Outlaw. He's fought better competition, but you, you get what I'm saying here. And I said that about Charles Oliveira fighting Tony Ferguson, too. I didn't think he could take down and hold down Tony Ferguson. And my God, was I wrong. My God, was I wrong on such an expensive level um, because I thought for sure Tony Ferguson was going to piece him up on the feet, force him to shoot, sprawl on him, maybe Dars choke him even. And man, did he just absolutely dominate Tony Ferguson. So I'm still with you where I don't know necessarily that he will be able to take him down, but I'm also open to the possibility that Oliveira takes down Michael Chandler here. I let's let's come back to this next week. I will give you so much credit if that's the case. I am going off my historical brain, which at this point is now a 28 year MMA fan, I guess. Right. Because I started watching in 94. So, yeah, I just don't believe that, you know, the jujitsu guy who grew up in Brazil is going to take down the all-American wrestler. Actually, was he an all-American? I don't know. But, you know, classically American-trained wrestler, I don't see it. But, you know, hey, maybe. Who knows? Dude, let me tell you something. I said to you off-air that when it comes to matchmaking, I want my matchmaking to answer a question. So, like, a great question to me right now is, does John Jones compete at heavyweight? Can he hold his own with his skinny-ass little legs with the biggest fucking monsters walking the planet? So that's a fun question that fans like to ask themselves and argue about. So the best matchmaking answer is a question. Similarly, I love a pay-per-view card, a big card, that answers questions for a whole division. So where I'm going with this is the top two fights here are answering questions at 155 pounds because we have Benil Darush and Tony Ferguson. The UFC has enough divisions where they could have pay-per-views that almost are dedicated to certain weight classes when the stars align. So I love that we will walk out of the fights after Saturday and have a really clear title picture at the top five, top ten levels of 155 pounds. So I love when the UFC does this. I also love it because if one of these assholes pops for COVID in the next three days, you could just sub in Tony Ferguson to the main event. And even though he's on a losing streak, we're not going to be unhappy with that, right? It's still, again, answering some sort of fun question for us. So that all being said, we have Benil Darush, a minus 155 favorite, to Tony Ferguson, a plus 135 dog. If you had this matchup two years ago, you would think that Ferguson would be the massive favorite, but Ferguson has fallen on some hard times. Now, albeit losing to the tops of the division after, you know, a million fight win streak, uh, beating Kevin Lee for the interim title via triangle choke, 
TKO over Anthony Pettis in a fucking war. Great fight. TKO over Donald Cerrone. But then he loses to Justin Gaethje, and he loses bad. A five-round destruction. Then Charlie Olives picks him apart. Unanimous decision win. A three-round destruction. So here we have Tony Ferguson, our boy, Tony Ferguson, two-fight losing streak. Benil Darush, on the other hand, he's on a six-fight win streak, Gumby. He's beaten the likes of Drakkar Close, Scott Holtzman, and coming off a split decision win over Carlos Diego Ferreira in a fight of the night. He has three performance of the night bonuses in his last five fights. This man is surging right now, and the favorite against Tony Ferguson, break it down. Man, this is another tough one to break down. Uh, I think you're right both about the fact that this answers a lot of questions at lightweight, and this also answers a lot of questions about Tony Ferguson, right? Because uh, a lot of people look back at that, you know, ridiculous win streak and and you can draw a lot of question marks about it right like he he beat anthony pettis but largely because anthony pettis had a broken hand he beat cowboy cerrone but largely because donald cerrone blew his nose and i mean he beat kevin lee but largely because kevin lee had a staph infection and tired out uh and you know i don't want to disparage that win streak because it was amazing but now he's got back-to-back losses but again do those losses answer anything not nah, they're tko losses to justin gaethje who's a freaking beast in a decision loss to Charles Oliveira where he got out grappled. So, I mean, like some people are saying he's spent. Some people are saying he's never was good. This is going to answer that question, right? Because Benil Dariush is like typically just outside of that tier that we think of as like the elite lightweights. He's just like knocking on that door there. And, and hey, he could come in here and replace Tony Ferguson if, if he comes in and puts a performance on like Charles Oliveira does. But Get this, I'm going to take Tony Ferguson in this fight anyway. Um, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, Benil Dariush's striking worries me a little bit in this fight if I were to take him. Uh, he got pieced up a little bit by Drakkar Closa in that fight with him. Uh, and to be honest with you, in that fight with Drakkar Closa, I, I think Closa hurt him enough and, yeah, made some bad decisions and wanted to got, get knocked out in his own right. But I, I don't think that that's like a repeatable thing for Benil Dariush. And then in addition to that, you know, you could point to the, the grappling disparage between, you know, Charles Oliveira and, and Ferguson and say that Benil Dariush could follow that game plan. But also I think the reason that worked against Tony Ferguson is he had to be afraid of the hands a little bit. And I don't think he has to be afraid of Benil Dariush's hands enough. So I think he's going to have a striking advantage. And I think if he gets this, if Benil Dariush starts to shoot, I, I think there's sprawls in his, his favor. And, and we know that, that Tony's got a great Darius joke. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and sub Benil Dariush, but I'm saying there's things for Tony Ferguson to like here. And, and I like him better on the feet. So I'm going to go with the underdog here. I'm going to take Tony Ferguson. Yeah, I find both guys to be extremely durable. Um, I find both guys to have great grappling. Uh, Ferguson almost maybe even a little more wizardry than Darush. Uh, and I think Ferguson's striking is way more funky, where he might land some crazy fucking elbow. But at the same time, I get this, uh, I don't know, feeling almost like we're entering that late-stage Cerrone phase with Ferguson. Like, was it too much time spent on his back fighting from the ground up and just too many fights in a span of a few years he also had that weird kind of, without getting into it, because that's not what we do on this podcast, but there was that, like, domestic issue where he might have went a little crazy. I don't know. I just have, and I'm not basing this off any sort of technical breakdown of a skill, I have a bad feeling about Tony Ferguson 
the once potential future champion. I don't think of Tony Ferguson as ever being a future champion again. And that's a different way I place him in my mind that I did even two years ago. You know what I'm saying? I definitely know what you're saying, but I think then too, we, the, then the question becomes, right? The question becomes, if that's the case, how shot is he, right? Because like I said, Benil Daryush is just outside of that, that top echelon that we, so to speak. And so ask yourself, do you really believe that Tony Ferguson is, is no longer, I mean, Benil, a loss to Benil Daryush for me takes him probably all the way to the edge of the top 10. Do you think he's out of the top 10? Uh, I, I just uh, don't know. Yeah. Well, hey, like I said, it answers the question. Let's try to answer the next question. Shane Burgos is the favorite here, a minus 115 favorite at that, to our dog, Edson Barbosa. Love an Edson Barbosa fight. Burgos himself is coming off a unanimous decision loss to Josh Emmett, but before that reeled off three wins in a row over Kurt Hollibaugh, a split decision win over Cub Swanson. And TKO'd uh, Makwan Americani, which is pretty impressive in my book. Edson Barbosa coming off a win over the aforementioned Makwan Americani, only by unanimous decision. Before that was on a three-fight losing streak. Can you believe it? Edson Barbosa lost to Justin Gaethje via KO. No shame in that. But then took a split decision loss to Paul Felder. A split decision loss to Dan Ige. So, you know, he at one point... um, in his career, and he's been in the UFC going back to 2010, he'd reel off three wins, lose. He'd reel off four wins, lose. Two wins, lose. Win one, lose one. Win three with a KO capping off. Look at this run. Beat Anthony Pettis, Gil Melendez, and then beat Benil Darush with a KO flying knee performance of the night back in March of 2017 and ended that three-fight winning streak by getting fucking sauced by Khabib Nurmagomedov, and then fucking mopped by Kevin Lee at catchweight. Came back, though, beat Dan Hooker via KO. Very impressive. And then the three-fight losing streak to the aforementioned Gaethje Felder Idge. So what a fucking interesting time to be Edson Barbosa right now. He needs to reel off two, three more wins to come back into title contention. Is uh, this the fight that gets him on a win streak against Shane Burgos, or is it going to be win one, lose one again? you got so first of all i I just want to mention i I do think he won that fight against danny gay um you know it goes down as a split decision loss but if you use mma decisions where you can see all the media scores 16 of the 18 media members scoring that fight scored it for edson barboza so yes it is technically a loss but as far as writing him off in his featherweight run because of a loss to ige first of all ige is a top 10 guy right now and is about to fight korean zombie and really, I think he lost to Edson Barboza. Uh, and that would put Edson Barboza at 2-0 at featherweight, which is kind of an interesting spot to be. I'll also say this. I, I like Shane Burgos' boxing. I-, I think he's a great boxer. But if you look at the people who have given him trouble in his fights, they're boxers. They're guys who are willing to tra- stand and trade with him. They're the types of people who beat him, right? Like Calvin Cater knocked him out because Calvin Cater is a better boxer. You know, Josh Emmett, not afraid to slug a little bit and sprawl and brawl. And he didn't even have to sprawl against Emmett. And as a result, he just brawled him and he beat him by decision. Even Cub Swanson took him to a split decision. And, and Cub Swanson kind of a past his prime striker at this point in time. So, yeah, I like Shane Burgos. I think he, he strikes well. But I think that if you're looking for a striking versus striking matchup, and I don't expect either of these guys to shoot, the guy, the striker here who has beaten lots of other strikers 
is Edson Barboza, right? Like Edson Barboza, like you said, up at 55, knocked out some really good dudes who can strike. Like knocking out Dan Hooker is no joke. Like the other guy who knocked out Dan Hooker is fighting for the title this weekend, right? Like, so, you know, Edson Barboza, I just think has that next level of striking and that next level of power. And while, yeah, he maybe doesn't have the recent finishes or any finishes really at, at featherweight to speak of, I just think he is a better technical striker here than Burgos, and Burgos's inability to mix it up with the grappling, I think, costs him this fight. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I think I think I'm right there with you. Let's move then to our dog of the week. <laughs> it's Andrea KGB Lee, a plus one twenty over Antonina Shevchenko, the Shevchenko sister. Uh, what do we like about Andrea Lee here? So what I like about Andrea Lee is is some of what I don't like about Antonia Shevchenko, if I'm being completely honest. Shevchenko does all of her best work in the clinch. She loves to be in the clinch. Lee, very physically strong, does a great job of readjusting positions against the cage so that she's the one pressing you against the cage. Even if you put her up against the cage, she reverses those positions well. In addition to that, she's got decent takedowns, and Shevchenko is susceptible to the takedown in you know, while she's got the submission over Lucy Putalova, not great off of her back. Um, and, and, you know, not for anything in that fight with Lucy Putalova, who's largely seen as, you know, a Muay Thai type fighter as well. Putalova took her down, which eh, that's going to be a little bit alarming for me here again. Somebody like Lee who can mix those takedowns in herself and win this fight that way. So to, to be honest, I, I'm just a little bit low on the grappling defense of Shevchenko against a lot of these women in the, the top 10 to top 15 of the flyweight division. And, and I think Lee is the right person to exploit that against her here. I like it. Let's talk about our parlay to play. It's Jamie Pickett, a minus 110 favorite, and Gina Mazzani, a minus 210 favorite. But pair them together and you get a plus 180. Let's hear it. So, first of all, I love Gina Mazzani moving down to 125. She looked like an absolute killer her first time out. Granted, it was against Rachel Ostevich, who a lot of people have written off and, and deemed probably not UFC quality. But, look, she went out there. Her cardio looked amazing. She looked like she was in phenomenal shape. She hired a nutritionist, changed camps, dropped a weight class. She's training with James Krause now, and, and man, does she look phenomenal. She's fighting another person in the 125 division who has seen some losses in Priscilla Cachoeira. She's looked really bad defensively grappling. I just think Gina Mazzani just imposes her will and wins this any way she wants. And I'm pairing her with Jamie Pickett here because, look, Jordan Wright is a guy who, if you look at his record, 11-1 with, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 11 stoppage wins. And I think 10 of those stoppage wins are in the first round. But if you count the people he's beat, it's like the records are 0 and 0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 
write us a review on iTunes. It helps keep the lights on in the uh, Top Turtle Podcast studio. Gumby, this train is a rumbling and a moving. Let's keep it going. Where should we go next? And we're going to transition now to my interview with Alex Morono as he recaps his victory over Cowboy Cerrone this past weekend. Also tells us where he would like to fight next. And it's an interesting pick, so you're going to want to tune in for that right now. All right, and joining me today is Alex Morano, fresh off of his win over Cowboy Cerrone at UFC Vegas 26. So, Alex, I, I want to start actually way back before the fight. Like a week and a half ago, you had no idea that this fight was even a possibility. You, you didn't know, especially that this fight against Cowboy Cerrone is a possibility. And now you've got a TKO first round win over one of the bigger names in MMA right now. T- take us through what these last, you know, seven to ten days have been like for you. Yeah, you know, thankfully, I was, like, full steam in on training. Like, so the way it works is, you know, when I'm in fight camps, especially, I'll, I'll go up to Dallas in the beginning of the week, hit my hard session, my hard sessions at Fortis, and then come home and kind of, like, rest and recover, you know, hit, like, the end of the week hard in Houston and then rinse and repeat. And I was just making the trip up to Fortis for the last couple weeks just for fun, just to help my teammates out, to enjoy the martial arts experience. And, uh, you know, so, like, you know, Wednesday is when I caught news of Diego Sanchez being cut. So, like, you know, that Monday I trained my butt off. That Tuesday I really hit some hard rounds at Fortis. And then that Wednesday I had done my strength and conditioning and I had taught a jiu-jitsu class and, and did some some rolling. And then as soon as I'm, I'm at home, you know, right about to eat lunch, one of my good friends texts me. And he, he knew I was on the lookout for a fight to drop off. And he was like, hey, you know, Diego Sanchez is out. And before I, I just, like, saw the thumbnail of the text on my phone, and before I even opened it and responded, I called my coach. And I was like, Coach Sanchez is out. Let the UFC know that I could take this fight against Cowboy. And he was like, all right, Moreno, I trust you. And, uh, and sure enough, because it was funny, that Tuesday at Fortis before, I had done some rounds, but I had trained for like three hours prior, done some jiu-jitsu classes, and I kickboxed for a while over at Fortis. So I was like pretty worn out. So when I was doing rounds in the middle, I, I wasn't doing the best. And coach like Morono, are you sure? You know, I, I, I'm I'm putting some faith in you that you know what you know what you're asking for. And I was like, Coach, believe in me, I can do it. And he was like, All right, you know, I trust you, which is which is which is kind of rare to come by. Coach Safe has some pretty high standards. And uh, so, you know, we, we we let him know I'm interested on Wednesday, and I don't really hear anything at all until really late Saturday night. I heard that Cerrone was interested, and then Sunday I heard he was in. So I had like officially one day to prepare, two days if you count Sunday. That that's incredible. That you know, one day to prepare, you're automatically in fight week, and and of course, you know, you look phenomenal in there. But I got to ask you, how do you feel now? Did did you feel like you were yourself in there? And, and how about the recovery time? Because obviously, you know, without a a real full camp and a real full preparation, what do you feel like physically afterwards? You know what? I felt uh, I I felt like I could do it. I'm I, you know I'm glad it ended in the first, but I felt really good at the end of that round. I remember when they announced the time of the TKO, it was pretty late in the first round and I didn't realize it. And man, I felt good. I kind of like, like training for fun and then doing kind of like a shorter fight camp. You know, my, my body was fresh. The weight cut was average, you know, at worst, it was an average cut, you know, similar weight loss. I really, I really enjoyed the experience, but you know, I did have that thought in my mind. I was like, you know, what if, what if I don't have that fight camp push? when things get grindy in the fights, but honestly, man, I think I'd have done fine. Even if we rest a little bit more, I mean, you know, I felt, felt good, really enjoyed it. 
And obviously, too, you know, you mentioned that you had been making the rounds up to Fortis. You know, a couple of the guys on that same card, Jeff Neal and the likes, were, were all training and getting ready for fights then. How important do you think that was in having rounds in with them for this fight? So, yeah, that, that's why I started going up to Fortis early. Because, like, you know, going up to Dallas is awesome, but it's not the easiest thing for me to do sometimes because I have to leave my home gym which normally is not a big deal, but I have a humongous kids program. I mean, I got, I got a lot of students and I, and I prefer to run those classes when I can. So uh, it was just good that those guys were active because, uh, cause I wanted to go give them some rounds. And, uh, and then even when I'm home locally, you know, I have a few of my fighters prepping for fights and I, I seek out some of the best guys in Houston. Like I train with Trevin Giles when I'm, when I'm training locally so man, it was just it was just good me staying active, me really enjoying the training. Like I know a lot of guys who pretty much only train when they have fights coming up, and I don't know how people do that. You can't get better that way. And uh, and I'm always like the kind of fighter like in camp, I'm like training for conditioning and to sharpen up. I'm not like looking to add techniques. It's it's out of fight camp that I'm looking to add, you know, different different options and the style and different different techniques. So that's always just done me so well. And I don't plan on breaking that that trend. And, and I, I'm curious now, too, because you said you liked the short fight camp. You like jumping right back in there. You said you're not too banged up. You had a one good round. Are, are we right back into that same mode? Or are we starting to think that we, we want a quick turnaround here and something, you know, maybe not exactly the same. You don't get a name like Cowboy Cerrone popped under your lap every single time. But are, are you looking for that style fight again? I mean, yeah, every time I think I know what I'm going to get next, I get a a curveball, you know, it's just hard to predict who they're going to match you with. You know, I, you know, if you'd asked me a month ago, if I'd be fighting Cowboy on a week's notice, I'd be like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a dream. Never would have thought it would have been a reality, but I'll tell you that Matt Brown, Diego Lima fight, I was eyeballing. So when I called my coach about Cowboy Sanchez a few months ago, Matt Brown and Diego Lima were also uh, one of the other welterweight fights that I told him, I was like, Hey, if the UFC needs someone to step up, if those dudes pull out, let me know. Because I know Matt Brown's a little bit older, and uh, he's he's had to pull out of a couple. You know, no big deal. That happens. Like, I was scheduled to fight Diego Lima, and he pulled out on me. So I just know, like, things do happen, and, and I'm ready to play ball. And the UFC's always given me every opportunity I could ever ask for. And, uh, and again, I'm just happy to give back. And I, and, and I think they know at this point, but I'm, I'm, I'm also happy to help them out if they ever need some help saving a card. Uh, well, I, I think certainly that they've got you on that short list because uh, let's talk about your last two opponents. Now, you, you did fight Anthony Pettis, and, and it was a tough fight, and now you've gotten Cowboy Cerrone. You you seemingly are going through a gauntlet of big-name, famous fighters, uh, you know, through through this part of your career. Is is Are guys like Matt Brown, Robbie Lawler, th- those types of guys on your list of people you want to fight to? You, you know, you sort of, like I said, you're on almost like a little Legends tour. Hell yeah, man. If I can keep that Legends Tour going, I'm going to ride that till the till the wheels fall off. But yeah, you know, Carlos Condit's coming off a couple wins. Robbie Lawler is the, is a G, man. He's, he was my favorite Ruthless champion. I mean, Matt Brown would be cool. I mean, yeah, any any of, any of them would just be cool. Absolutely. And, and you know, like I said, you're, you're ready at all times. Is, is there an ideal time you would like to be back in there? Is there an amount of time you'd like to take off here or an amount of time you'd like to have for, a, you know, maybe a little bit more of a legit fight camp? I mean, sure. Uh, you know, if I have that option, but I'll tell you, the ultimate fighter finale is a card I would like to fight on because my, uh, my, my best friend growing up, he's like my little brother, Ricky Tercios. He's in the house now. Uh, I saw him in, in Vegas. They let they let him watch the fight. Now, granted, he, he they couldn't say anything, 
but just his energy, man, I just know he's doing awesome. And I'm confident he'll be fighting in the finale. And when we were teenagers, man, I'm talking 12 plus years ago, we had like a, a goal to get to the UFC together. And then when I got signed, you know, he was a couple years behind me. I was like, Ricky, you just, you stay the course brother. And, and we'll fight on the same card together one day. I'm, I'm sure of it. And man, we are so close to doing that now. I would love to achieve that goal. Well, we'd certainly love to see that. And we can't wait to see you in there again. Once again, fans, this was Alex Morono fights or just fought Cowboy Cerrone. Picked up the TKO this past weekend. Thanks so much for the time, Alex. We really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We certainly couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our sponsors, Better Than Vegas and Maroon Social. And, of course, please remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at Top Turtle MMA. We certainly appreciate each and every single one of those followers. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you then.